Hello and welcome to Student Affairs Live, the online learning community for student affairs educators. I am your host, Heather Shea-Gasser, she, her, hers, from Michigan State University. Today I'm connecting with five new professionals to talk about their transition from grad school into their first jobs in student affairs. We welcome your comments, questions, and participation. Follow along on our back channel and tweet to the hashtag HigherEdLive. I am super grateful to current MSU SA grad Alex Sylvester for their help in helping out with the back channel today. Thanks, Alex. In a moment, I'll introduce you to our five panelists, but first I need to acknowledge and thank those who make Student Affairs Live possible. Student Affairs Live is a part of the Higher Ed Live Network. You can tune into episodes with my friend and co-host, the amazing Tony Duty, and me on Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. If you're unfamiliar with past episodes, we highly recommend that you check out and favorite the archive link that we're tweeting out now. Higher Ed Live is produced by M. Stoner, a marketing and communications firm that works with education institutions on branding, strategy, web design, and more. M. Stoner is offering a two-part webinar series on Google Analytics and Tag Manager in August. Higher Ed pros often have Google Analytics in their toolbox, but determining digital success takes more than just counting clicks and page views. It's a challenge to identify meaningful metrics and have the right configuration in place to make use of them to achieve your goals. Registration is $299, and we are tweeting out a link shortly where you can learn more and register. Student Affairs Live is also exclusively sponsored by ACPA. ACPA believes that Student Affairs Live is one of the many ways that you can be innovative with your own professional development. If you're interested in submitting a propo program proposal for the ACPA 2017 convention, they are due September 9th. We're tweeting out a link where you can submit your proposal today. So, on with the show. We, nearly two years ago, I hosted a Higher Ed Live episode featuring eight students who are currently pursuing master's degrees in student affairs or college student personnel. Five of the eight are reappearing today on Student Affairs Live to talk with me about their transition from SA grad to SA pro, from master student to new professional. Three of the folks on the original show can't be here today, and we're definitely going to miss Cody, Pages, and Emily's voices, but shout out to them. They're all doing great work. Um, and if you are about to embark on a student affairs master's degree, if you're about to start a, your first full-time job, or if you supervise or mentor any of the above, this episode promises to be full of real talk, honest reflection, and important advice. So let's get on with the conversation. So welcome to the five of you. Really excited to reconnect um, as a part of Student Affairs Live today. And as our panelists introduce themselves, I want to tell everybody who's watching that you can read their full bios on our website at the link that we're tweeting out now. So in your intro, um, if you could tell us a little bit about where you went to graduate school and what you are doing now. Um, and we'll start with Jasmine. Trying to make sure I'm unmuted. Hi, everyone. Yeah, okay. uh, my name is Jasmine Scott. She, her, hers. Um, I did my master's work at Indiana University um, and got my MSED in higher education student affairs. I'm currently the coordinator for the Keith B. Key Center for Student Leadership and Service here at The Ohio State University. Great. Thanks so much for being here, Jasmine. Andrea. Hi, everyone. I'm Andrea DeLeon, she, her, hers. Um, I received my master's degree from Loyola University of Chicago, and I'm currently working as a residence director at St. John's University in New York. All right. Thank you so much. Gabby. Hello, everybody. My name is Gabby Porcaro. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. I received my master's degree from Virginia Tech, and I am coming at you today from the University of North Carolina at Asheville, where I serve as the student affairs case manager. Meanwhile, we'll move to Matt. Matt. Oh. 
Yeah, okay. Uh, well, I'm Matt Fenstermaker, uh, he, him, his. I graduated with Jasmine from Indiana University in Bloomington, and I'm currently serving as the Early Engagement Director at the Oregon State University Alumni Association. Awesome. Okay, so my first question for you all is just briefly and broadly, talk about what your first year as a student affairs professional has been like. There have been any challenges, successes, unexpected moments, disappointments? Um, Matt, we'll, we'll go back to you. Yeah. Uh, so for me, this year was interesting because I came into um, a position that was newly created. So I was the first person here. So I had to kind of create everything from scratch. Um, so I'm working in student programs with the Alumni Association. So working to connect students and alumni together. Um, that has been challenging and exciting. Uh, luckily, I've had really great colleagues and campus partners who have helped uh, me transition into this role, but also helping to create a solid program for the Alumni Association. Um, so I guess the one thing I think I didn't expect as much or as kind of unexpected is just how slow this process would be. Um, I, I mean, it's something I kind of, I guess I should have assumed, but, um, you know, I was always the kind of person who likes to hit the ground running and do things, you know, a miles, 100 miles per hour. Um, so I've kind of had to take a step back and realize, you know, what can I truly accomplish in my first year, you know, and kind of setting those one, three, five, and 10-year goals and trying to be realistic with what I'm able to accomplish. Awesome. That is good suggestions, I think, for folks. Um, Gabby. So in my role here at UNC Asheville, I am the inaugural um, case manager. So while case management work was happening before I got here, I am the first one to live and breathe the role 24-7. And that was honestly a huge reason why I applied to the job. I love creating. I like autonomy. And it, I was joining a great team. So that's been both surprising and challenging for a number of reasons. Um, and just it's been a really rewarding year. I mean, I think some of the challenges I faced were just um, really trying to best learn the university as well as I could so I could make sure our students' needs were being served and I was advocating for their needs in an authentic way um, without causing any, type of un like, any type of unintentional harm. Um, so that was a challenge, but I was well supported throughout the process by my supervisors, by um, my campus partners as well. I think something that was really surprising to, or um, really fun for me actually um, a little bit different than Matt's experience since this is such a smaller university. There's only 3,000 students here at UNC Asheville. Um, I kind of just had to hit the ground running and be going full steam ahead from the moment I got here and it kind of hasn't stopped. Um, and we wear a lot of hats, so I'm the case manager, but I'm also the bystander intervention coordinator. I am temporarily serving as the coordinator of our safe zone programs because we're um, in the middle of a search for the assistant director for our intercultural center. Um, so I've just been able to really immerse myself well in the community, and that's been a lot of fun. Awesome. Jasmine, tell us a little bit about how your first year has been. Sure. So I would say overall, my first year has been very humbling, if I could sum it up in one word. Um, for our staff team, about a third of us are new to our positions and new to the university, so we just had a lot of movement coming in. So it's it's difficult when you start a job and everyone says, feel free to ask questions, but no one really knows how to do what you're supposed to be doing um, within your direct reporting line or direct organization. So for me, a lot of what I do is working with students. So I had to rely on my students to pretty much teach me how to do everything, um, which is fantastic. It empowers them to do great work. Um, but also having to strike a balance between, yes, you may have taught me what I know, but now let's refine some things, let's make things more efficient. 
Um, at the end of the day, I still have to be responsible for that decision making. Um, I think the other big challenge is just not being in the classroom and have those important conversations on a consistent basis. I think what is so great about grad school is for many programs you have this built-in cohort and you have this level of familiarity where you can jump into a very difficult conversation and it feels like nothing, um, where it's a little bit harder to kind of make that transition when you're still learning your job and feeling out your colleagues. Awesome. That's great advice, too. I think being uh, new with a whole lot of new people, as you said, has its, has its good things and also has its challenges. Um, Andrea. So my thoughts are very similar to what Jasmine shared. Um, I came to New York to St. John's to be a residence director. And while I have experience in residence life, I worked in as an ARD in graduate school. Um, it's just totally different. Uh, St. John's is a very different institution. The student body is completely different than any student body I've ever worked with before. So just adjusting to a new culture, um, I think, added some layers of challenge um, as I adjusted to my new role. I also think um, I was the only new hire in our department last year. And you know, for most residence life departments, each summer you bring in two to like six probably new residence directors, depending on how big the department is. But I came in by myself. Um, so that presented challenges in that I felt like, okay, like I'm the one new person. Um, in some ways that was nice because then everyone wanted to help me um, and I could get support from everyone in the department. Um, so there was a lot of attention. But at the same time, it sometimes felt kind of lonely and like, you know, I remember grad school when I had this cohort of all these other people and we were learning together and now I'm just kind of like the one person who doesn't know anything yet. Um, so just being patient with myself and recognizing that it's okay to take time to learn things. I think one other challenge was that I inherited a staff of RAs that most, the majority of them were returning to the role for the second or third year, and the majority of them were seniors. So they had a lot of opinions about how things should be done. Um, and in some ways, I relied on that heavily because they were teaching me how to do things here at St. John's. But then it was trying to, it was tough to navigate where do I come in and make the decisions that they may or may not like, um, and how do I build that rapport and gain that respect from, from them in a way that's proactive um, but also like productive for the team. So definitely challenging but I learned so much this past year and I feel very much prepared to be successful in my next year. I think what you just said um, Andrea kind of relates to my next question which has to do with graduate kind of that transition what you learned about in graduate school and I know you all went to fabulous uh, graduate programs but there's only so much time during your two years ish um, to cover all of the curriculum. So maybe Andy, could you talk a little bit about a topic or area that you wish you would have learned more about that would have made you more effective in your first year out of grad school? I think there are two things and they both relate directly to, to college students today. Like I think it would have been so helpful to have a class on like today's college student because mm -hmm. even though I'm still very young and I was in college not that long ago, the students I work with are experiencing things and talking about things that I know nothing about. Um, and it, it's a little disheartening because I'm like, I'm still so young. Like, I was just in college, but I have no idea what you're talking about. And, or I can't relate. Um, and so I, I think it'd be tough for grad programs to have a class like that because our students are changing so rapidly. But at the same time, I think some conversation about like what to expect once you're working with students. The other side of that is similarly, Students that are institutions that serve unique populations of students. So, for example, like I've only experienced predominantly white institutions before coming to St. John's. Mm -hmm. And St. John's is not a PWI. And I was excited about that, but I wasn't necessarily fully prepared 
for what that meant and how I did my job. Um, I thought, you know, like Loyola prepared me really, really well when it came to developing a social justice lens and how I do my work. And I knew the theory and all of that, but the actual like sitting down with a student who's telling me their story and that's just a different experience. Um, and there are unique needs to students at institutions that are not PWI. So I think some sort of preparation is to like, okay, not every student is going to be like the students you work with when you're in grad school. It could be a lot different depending on where you end up. Yeah, that's a really great point. So maybe kind of thinking about like where students have been placed in the in the past and mm -hmm. and where um, they might come back to eventually. We have Jarvis back. <laughs> Yay! Uh. <laughs> Welcome back, Jarvis. Um, I'm excited. Okay. Um, but Matt, I'm curious what you have to say about this. Um, as far as you know, things that you wish you maybe would have learned at IU before coming um, mm -hmm. coming to Oregon State. Yeah. So um, one of the things that I think would have better helped prepare me, and this is kind of um, more personal, especially to my experience here coming in, where I was uh, tasked with starting a new program, and part of that was creating a student organization. So. Um, Part of my responsibilities was taking over the student alumni ambassadors, which uh, had previously been a group on campus, but when I took them over, I had a grand total membership of zero. Mm -hmm. um, so I had to build from the ground up again, and I think if um, I would have had some more opportunities to learn about organization theory. Um, it was one elective that was offered, but unfortunately I couldn't fit it into my schedule um, when I was there. Um, I think that's something that could have been really useful as I was looking to develop the, the student and alumni ambassadors again. Um, but also, I wish I would have taken advantage more of the opportunities that existed outside of the classroom in terms of doing things like StrengthsQuest uh, facilitation, because uh, that's sometimes uh, those opportunities have arose here even in the office where we've talked about doing it and that's something that I could have helped provide to my coworkers. Um, so it's little things like that that I wish I would have taken advantage of again back when I was at IU because those are all skills that I could have continued to use um, even in my first year working here at Oregon State. Awesome. Um, I'm going to jump back and have Jarvis answer question two because I think that's a really good kind of foundational um, question. So Jarvis, can you tell us a little bit about what your first year has been like in your um, first new professional role after grad school? Yeah, yeah, yeah. First, I did not mean to block you. Uh, <laughs> I apologize for that. Um, no problem. Just to, just to answer the question, um, my first year has been full of a lot of growth, a uh, ton of learning and development. Um, I did not have any residence life experience prior to um, graduate school or prior to uh, taking this job um, as a full-time residence director. So it's a lot of me asking questions and learning. Um, so I feel like I'm still in student mode, and that's not really a bad thing for me. I tried to, to read the latest research articles. I tried to make an effort to take something to enhance my practice um, for my colleagues. I really learned from my colleagues, and they're phenomenal here, both uh, at Swinging Room and Grinnell. Um, I'm learning that students that I work with are, they're really my greatest teacher also. Um, heavy student contact, it really presents many teachable moments for me. Um, and if I were to say any challenges, it's definitely an, um, perhaps maybe some of the institutional uh, politic, politics and systemic issues, but we'll talk about that later. Mm -hmm. uh, but some success being successes, I think, um, since first year, just being published, um, organizing a conference that I'm working on, um, all of these opportunities, are, I'm really uh, presented with some time to reflect and grow. So if I had to theme it, it's a year of a lot of learning and growth, and I hope that stays um, in my professional career. 
Awesome. Thanks so much. And for folks watching, seeing the name Alex pops up, Bill Jarvis. <laughs> Jarvis is lo logged in through Alex's account. So thanks, thanks to Alex for helping with the behind-the-scenes tech <laughs> stuff. So, um, so let's let's step back to the job search process for a moment because I know that's still probably fresh in some of your minds. Um, a year a year out, um, and specifically, I want to talk about you know maybe some words of advice for graduate students and particularly those who are trans folks, women of color, people of color generally, maybe have some anxiety around self-presentation, kind of physically and digitally during interviews and job search. Um, can you, can uh, you start and talk a little bit about tips and tricks for being authentic in dress um, and social media while, still, while first um, trying to still get a job? Um, mm -hmm. Jasmine, I think you were interested in kind of leading on this yeah. one. Yeah, for sure. So first I just want to say that that anxiety is not unfounded. Um, I think that a lot of people experience that and don't always have the opportunity to talk about it. So just making it like that, that anxiety is there and I think real for so many of our grads who are searching or people who are entering the profession without having um, our more formal preparation programs. Um, I think what's hard to do is to present yourself as authentic while also making sure that you're not harming yourself or putting yourself in harm's way. Um, I think for me as a woman of color, um, something I struggle with, which feels very silly looking back, was do I straighten my hair before I go to an interview? Um, so in grad school, I transitioned from being, um, like, having perm hair to going natural. So a little black hair lesson for you all. Um, but that was, like, something that I really, like, struggled with, was, like, do I straighten my hair when I go into interviews when I'm interviewing at PWIs? Like, will that be off-putting to some people? Um, and ultimately decided, you know what? I love my curls. This is what I'm going to look like every day, so I might as well go for it. Um, I think in terms of presenting yourself, the best advice I can give you is present yourself as close to what you do every single day without harming yourself. So if you know you prefer a certain style of dress or you know you want to present yourself in a certain way and that it would be detrimental to your mental health and your self-care to not do that, um, please don't do that. Um, you do not want to put yourself in an environment where they're expecting one perception of you or you're giving off. Um, certain vibes or certain expectations of you and then you show up to start your job and that's not there, that's not congruent. Um, I think that does more harm to you as a person as well as your organization. Um, and I realize that there's a level of inherent privilege in being able to say that. So for me in my job search, I tried to put myself in a financial situation where I felt comfortable that if someone logged onto my social media and saw that I was tweeting about Black Lives Matter and that upset them, that that would be okay if I did not get a job office from that institution. Or if someone's upset that I was tweeting about how Michelle Obama slays every day, because I do it once a week, um, that was okay with me too. So I think you have to kind of find what's most comfortable for you. Because again, you're going to have to kind of show up as that person every single day to work. Um, doesn't mean you still can't push those boundaries once you're there, but I think for me that was the best thing I can do, having that network of support to go, okay, these are things that I think are important to say when I interview that are true to my identity. How does that feel for you? was very helpful. Um, and then in the actual interview process, I made sure to ask the question to the individuals who'd be directly supervising me. Um, like, I'm a woman of color. I'm pretty pretty proud of that. I'm pretty strong about that. So what can you do as a supervisor to support me in that? And you will get mixed responses. <laughs> um, one person was like, oh, I don't I don't know how to handle that question. Um, and like kind of flubbered. I was like, OK, you may not be able to support me the way that I feel like I want to be supported. Um, other people said, you know, I hadn't thought about that, but that's a good point for growth. I'd love to work on what I can do to support you in that. So I think asking the right questions can also help once you're in that situation. Um, yeah. Great. 
Those are great thoughts. What do, do other folks have thoughts about job search and presentation and? Um, so one thing that I wanted to talk about, um, so I have the distinct pleasure of being on an editorial team for an upcoming book project through the Commission for Social Justice Educators. Um, and so I'm working alongside Brian Reese, Booch Horan, and Elliot DeVore, which folks in the field might know and have been familiar with, especially through conferences. Um, but we are working to really trouble this notion, and for any current graduate students, recent grads, or folks about to start their programs, there's this rhetoric that's tossed around so loosely in graduate programs saying that you need to find your fit when you're job searching. Um, and there's literature on this that has been trusted for decades, but nobody's really explained it. And honestly, nobody's really inter interrogated how baseless that really can be, um, especially when you're holding marginalized identities, whether those are visible or invisible. Um, so we've actually just narrowed down our team of folks that we're going to be working with um, to publish chapters in the book. will hopefully be coming out sometime within the next year and a half. Um, but it's something that, regardless of whether you're a part of the project or not, that I really just want to encourage folks to think about whether you're on the hiring end um, or whether you're a job searcher. Um, when people tell you to find your fit, what does that really mean? Um, what type of unconscious bias are you like pushing onto individuals? Um, what type of prejudice are you going to be are you going to be existing with, and what type of lens is that going to cause you to look through? So, don't trust that when faculty members are telling you you need to find your fit. I don't know if it really exists, and ask them maybe to explain to you what that truly means, and and continue the search from there. Great, that's really interesting. Other thoughts from anybody else? I move on to the next question. This next question, I think, relates to what Jarvis was alluding to earlier. Um, I know from my first experience right out of grad school that I was shocked at the level of politics, um, the unwritten rules. And I, when I mean politics, I don't mean political parties. I mean really the behind the scenes, kind of groveling for resources, the who knows who. Um, and despite having received this lovely book, um, beyond, Beginning Your Journey, with ha which has a whole chapter on politics, um, and we'll, we'll tweet out a link to this later. I, I think one of the struggles that I had was that I don't know how, you how I would have necessarily known that that existed within the organization before I started working there. Um, so I'm curious if any of you have kind of bumped up against any of this um, politics. Uh, maybe Jarvis, we'll start with you. Yeah, um, so I have the, the joy of having two jobs right after my um, graduate school experience. Uh, so. I started off at a small private liberal arts college in the Midwest and then transitioned to a community college. And at the liberal arts college, um, students really had a lot of power. Um, and I, something that I wish I had known going into that, and then when I transitioned here, it was more of the, I guess, traditional, um, for lack of knowledge on institutional types, um, administrators had more power. And just from things of sending out emails, who to copy on that email and uh, who should I be, CC versus CC. Um, so learning about the how to navigate a system of of the of the institution was something that I don't know if I could be prepared for in graduate school. Um, but one of my strengths um, for uh, strengths quest is adaptability. So I, I just tend to roll with it and go with the flow. Um, but it is definitely something that I wish I had have known um, more, uh, either with talking from um, mentors or on being on interviews with folks. Um, but I don't know if people would actually tell you the inside scoop uh, or give you the honest answer. Uh, when you're in an interview, you're kind of just thrown in the fire and told to, to, to really just learn how to maybe put the fires out. But um, that's, that's one thing, just reflecting on, uh, on that process. 
Yeah. Anyone else have experiences with politics behind the scenes or explicit or otherwise? I can add something. Um, I don't think that politics are always bad. So one thing I realized very early on is sometimes it was just me knowing who's the right person to ask a question to or to ask a favor of to get a certain project, a certain thing done. Um, and in those situations where it felt like there were some maybe not so friendly politics that it was okay for me to go, you know what, I disagree with this decision or I'm saying no, this is a person who should be making this decision, but if you want to go ahead and make that over my head, I'm okay with that and I can get on board outwardly, but just so you know that this is not aligned with my values um, or I don't agree with this, just so you're aware so when we are interacting in the future, you kind of know where I stand on that. Um, and there's maybe a little risk in doing that, but I think I think we all find that there are some things that are worth kind of sticking up and standing for and some things we can just kind of roll with it and go, you know what, that's politics, or you know what, this person's making a decision, I can roll with it and keep doing my job. Yeah. Gabby, do you have thoughts on this too? Yes, so I work at a public liberal arts institution here in North Carolina and we are an incredibly just collegial campus. Mm -hmm. um, I can pick up the phone and call any one of my colleagues that I need to, especially in the role that I do for the university um, with working through students um, during times of crisis. I'm lucky that my colleagues um, respect my, me and respect my work, but I think the best advice that I have for navigating the political environment, regardless of what institutional type you end up at, during your first month in the job, get to know your boss. Get to know your boss incredibly well. Have one-on-one -on -one conversations, of course, updating them and learning what the intricacies of your job's going to be, but get to know them as a person. How do they like to be communicated with? How do you need to communicate with them to make sure that you're respecting yourself as well? Um, and then just start asking questions. I mean, I asked, like, am I allowed to collaborate? If I have an idea for an event I want to host, would you be offended if I reach out to other offices and start pulling other folks in? Um, ask your boss in those one-on-one -on -one sessions so then you can kind of know where might I be stepping on toes so maybe you can um, almost combat or completely avoid any type of those awkward situations. Um, but take some time to observe, get to know your boss. Also, at, when you're asking questions and getting folks advice, um, similar to what Jasmine was saying about respecting your own values and respecting your own ethics, um, while you're asking for advice, still trust your gut. Um, you don't have to take somebody's advice as fact or what you should be doing. Great. Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, just to follow up, um, just to, like folks to, to know, uh, administrative support personnel, the mo I found the most knowledgeable people on a college campus and can help with that transition uh, no matter what stage you are in your career. Um, so that's one uh, little nugget of wisdom I just wanted to throw out there for uh, like navigating institutional politics and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. They've been, especially if they've been there for a while and they've seen yeah. a lot of folks come and go. Maybe seen kind of the the missteps along the way. Absolutely agree with you on that. Um, so one of the things that I know I've relied upon is my um, other folks from my master's program and some of those networks of support, either with within my cohort or other people who came in. Um, to the profession around the same time as me. Uh, how have you all utilized your cohorts or other peer networks um, to not only address politics but other kinds of challenges that you're that you face? Um, Matt, do you want to start with this one? Sure. Um, so I am very thankful for Facebook chat. <laughs> um, so there is a few people from my cohort, which Jasmine is also one of them, uh, who were pretty much on Facebook chat 
almost 24-7, um, whether it's throughout the day, um, if we're, we're just there to kind of provide support for one another with whatever challenges we might be facing or sending the latest BuzzFeed quiz or just something to kind of help us stay connected. Um, because when we do have um, those high moments, it's really great to have someone there, you know, to kind of be there and share in that moment with us. But then also when there are those low moments of when you're transitioning into your first job and you really just need someone there to support you and help you get through, that's what those people are there for. Um, one of the other things that uh, has been kind of helpful is that um, when we were getting ready to graduate, I set up this kind of email chain so where each person in our cohort was assigned a different month to provide an update to our cohort. Um, it's kind of opt-in, they could participate if they'd like to, but it's um, giving those life updates about you know where they're at in their own personal lives outside of work, but then also giving professional updates or any other things that they feel that they might want to include. Um, it kind of replaces um, that in-classroom environment that we have in grad school, you know, where you see those people every single day and they're the people you get to have those really um, in-depth conversations with and, you know, after you graduate that piece is kind of missing. So that's one way that we've kind of been able to hold on to that a little bit. Awesome. As another member of that same cohort, Jasmine, what, <laughs> what thoughts do you have on, on uh, maintaining those connections? Sure. I will say I really enjoy um, Matt's kind of setup of us emailing out updates. I did not send out mine in July, so can this count for my update, Matt, maybe? I don't know. Um, but I think it's just kind of a fun way to touch base. Um, we also, some people in our cohort have standing Google Hangouts that we have. I think that we're very well-intentioned when we graduate, but I want to stay connected to you, I want to catch up, but then schedules happen. You can go not talking to someone for months. Um, and if you have really close connections you want to maintain, I think you have to make that a priority. So uh, something I appreciate, that same group that we have the outrageous Facebook chat that Matt has outed us on. Um, we also have standing Google Hangouts that we do. Um, I will also say getting to connect with people at professional conferences or through experiences that I've had um, as a grad have been helpful. So one of the groups that I kind of enjoy the most um, is the TPE interns from 2014. Um, we're not quite as active on our Facebook chat or on our group me, but it's always nice because we're, we're so spread out throughout the country to be able to get different perspectives and kind of check in when we need it. I think that's what's, what's great is you can kind of make it what you want, so don't be afraid to kind of follow up with people even if you haven't talked to them in a month or in two months. Um, I think sometimes being a little bit away from your cohort is maybe a little bit helpful and you start to appreciate them more um, in the insight that you have now that you have a little bit more perspective um, post-graduation. Awesome. Yeah, time zones happen too. I think that's the other barrier. <laughs> um, yeah. Having moved from Pacific time zone to Eastern time zone constantly like, what do you mean you can't talk? Um, so I'm curious, I think, you know, we at least, speaking from my own experience, I came out of grad school with this really idealistic um, perspective on student affairs and as I've alluded to, my first job wasn't necessarily the greatest, but um, I'm curious about how you're, you know, a year now out, what is your current outlook on the field? Um, and maybe rank it on a scale of 1 to 10. Um, and then how has that changed since you were in grad school? Um, Gabby, you want to start? Yes, absolutely. So um, when I say my number, it might sound a little bit like cynical at first, but I'm going to explain. So I think I ha I'm probably at a 6 on where my outlook for the field of student affairs is. Um, and that's truthfully because 
I just think we have so much more room for growth, and I think we're trying to get in that place. Um, I am sure any of my faculty members or cohort members that are watching this now are probably chuckling a little bit because I've always been the person, and when I was in graduate school, I was always the person asking us to pause and genuinely think about what was our field doing, where could have we been causing harm, um, what were we not doing, where were we underserving individuals, where were we completely missing the mark and overstepping our bounds, um, and especially in just the current climate that our country is in with um, xenophobia, racism, ableism, Islamophobia, genderism being um, just so much more overt. I don't want to say that it's all of a sudden in existence now. It's always existed. It's, it's becoming much more overt. I think as student affairs professionals and more importantly student affairs educators, um, we want to be doing better work and we absolutely have the tools and the knowledge and the skill set amongst all of us to be doing better work, but we're not there yet. Um, so I trust my colleagues and I'm excited to see where this work is going to lead us, but I'm at a semi-healthy cynical number six for my outlook on the field. <laughs> All right, well, we're going to take a group average here in, in a second. Uh, Jasmine. Okay, well I hope I don't drop our average down. Um, I think probably going in first year to grad school, it's probably at an eight. I mean, when you're first getting into the field, you kind of see the best of everything. So you get to see professional organizations that are doing programs focused on you and really getting you connected. You have people who are also excited to go into the field. Um, but then you start to think critically about the issues that we have and you develop frameworks for analyzing things that are happening and you go, hold on, something isn't right here. Um, so I think probably now I'm at a four. Um, doesn't mean I'm not hopeful, but I think that higher ed overall, we're getting lost um, in an effort to be the best and we're forgetting about the fundamentals. So we boast about only admitting the elite students at large research institutions and fancy new facilities and how much alumni giving we have. We have students who are homeless, we have students who do not have food security, um, we have students who are experiencing sexual violence on our campus, um, and I don't think that it's okay for us to boast about all the great things that we're doing when we're not being those very fundamentals because if our students don't feel safe on our campuses, if they don't have the means to be successful, um, I think we're doing them a disservice. Um, that isn't to say that we can't still make those changes. Um, I'm very hopeful that we can. Um, I think every day I'm encouraged by a student or a colleague um, who really is working towards the good, but I think it's a lot of work. Um, I think we have to get more people in our field who are willing to do that work um, because if and to throw it out here, if looking at the Facebook group for student affairs professionals is an indicator of our field, we're in a lot of trouble. Yeah, that's come up on previous episodes. I think um, that how that group is fostering connections or not, and what that's telling folks about the status of our profession is really important. Um, maybe that's a future episode. Um, Jarvis, what's your number? Um, so mine is kind of similar. Um, it's, I, I, it's a five. Um, and I, I remain neutral um, on this question. I struggled a lot when uh, to try to make sense of my thoughts when I was reflecting on this question. Um, I want to say uh, we'll go on and do marvelous things, and I think we're in a place where, like, as a, as a whole, we do marvelous things. Um, but at the same time, we're only good as this system, and the system, like what Gabby and Jasmine alluded to, uh, the system of higher education is working, I guess, like it was made. It's still an impressive institution. Uh, it works for certain groups. Uh, it's hurtful for marginalized groups. Um, again, we see this in the Facebook professional page. Uh, we see it when college students aren't held accountable for their actions, uh, and from they're not held accountable in their actions from um, 
the court from our criminal justice system. Uh, so what messages that, does that give to the students? Um, we see it, I guess, just all the time in systems when we're not allowing for restorative justice um, practices to really occur for students. So in summary, I'm just waiting to see if our discipline uh, will work to provide brave spaces um, for where we all can thrive. Um, until then, uh, I think we as a whole, we're just yet to be. And whatever we want to be as a field will be that, but we're not anywhere near that yet. And I think we can be a brave space. Uh, we got to forget this notion of safe spaces. Um, we just need to know and sit with those spaces that they're not really going to be there, but we really need to thrive to work and lean into brave spaces. Um, and we can get there, uh, but I'm going to give a, a five and, 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 and reflect some more on that. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks so much, Jarvis. Well, I'm going to stick to my number that I had before everyone else started talking. Uh, and perhaps I'm a little bit more of an optimist, but I would say that I'm, with my current outlook, I'm at about a seven. Um, I think if you look at the field of higher education as a whole, we're still a relatively new profession where if you look at a lot of our research, the people who have done that research are still living. I mean, compared to other um, professions, you know, they've been around for hundreds of years where we haven't quite had that chance, but I do think that we are at a time where we are having critical conversations and we're talking about these things that matter, and we, you know, the five of us here are coming into a system that has been around but hasn't been necessarily well informed, um, and I think that the fact that we are having these conversations, we will begin to have a brighter future, and I think about um, people like my friend Michael Goodman who did a really great pachaka cha at ACPA talking about what students are we leaving behind um, and just asking us to all pause and think about these things when we have you know events like mom and dad's weekend well what about the students who don't have a mom and dad or non-traditional students or students who don't have a good relationship with their family and it's not saying that we have all the answers right now but we're at this time where we can say hey we don't have the answers so let's pause let's think about it and how can we do better um, so I would agree, yeah, maybe it's not the best that it can be right now, but I'm confident that in the future, you know, and just hearing, you know, the rest of my colleagues here talking today, that I think that one day we will get to that point where we're all feeling good about it. Um, and when we have this good energy, um, we really need to harness that and work together um, to help, you know, better the lives of all the students that we work with. Awesome. Andrea. So I'm going to say a six. Um, yeah, I'm going to go with six uh, because I like. I think I have a little bit of that optimistic side still there. Um, I think that I think that my concern currently and you know in the past and moving forward is that we become very siloed, or I feel like we are siloed within student affairs. And by that I mean you know you have all these like sub departments. So there's multicultural affairs, and there's residence life, and student activities, and fraternity story life, and all that. And sometimes I think we we just like send students to where we think they're going to be best served. Um, and sometimes it makes sense. But I think when we talk about the issues where, that are coming up, you know, today in the Facebook group and our students who are um, on the margins, like they need to find support everywhere. You know, we, I don't think it's okay for us to be like, oh, well, you need to go talk to this person in multicultural affairs because they can suit you better than I can. I think we need to get to a point as student affairs professionals, um, as an entire field where everyone, no matter what department we work in, is educated and trained and prepared to be able to support students no matter what their identities and no matter what their concerns are. Um, 
I think we're getting there, um, but we still have a long way to go. Um, and you know, politics plays into this. Resources play into this. Um, pushback, like people who are like, "That's not my job. I don't. I don't want to get trained in that." You know, that plays in. So I, I think that's it's. We're, we have a big challenge ahead of us, but I think we need to get there if we want to fulfill our responsibility um, and our passion of helping students. Because I think ultimately that's why most people are in this field is because we have a passion to help students. But if we're just pushing them all around campus, sending them to other people, then I, I don't really think we're doing what we can for them. I also think a lot about money um, when it comes to higher ed and being good stewards of our funds and how we spend them in student affairs. And sometimes I wonder if spending all this money on the flashy, you know, like up-to-date technology stuff is really adding value to our students and their experience. So that's something I've become more critical of as I've um, been more exposed to what what does money look like kind of behind the curtain, like what are the budgets actually, how do we spend this money, how are prices set, um, that's something I'm starting to learn more about and starting to have more opinions about as, I, as I've learned postgraduate school. Great. Well, our average across all five of you is a 5.6, doing quick math on my, on my phone here. Um, and, and I just have to say, you know, as somebody who's been out of my program for a while, I listening to all of you, I do feel like the future is pretty bright if you all are going to be our leaders. So thank you for your thoughts um, about kind of what are some of the challenges and how we might get better as a profession. So let's step back even a little bit further, because I know some of the folks who are watching today are getting ready to start master's programs. In fact, an MSU student um, uh, of mine is headed to San Diego to begin. So shout out to Tyler, who might be watching today. Um, what, uh, what, advi what advice do you have for those folks? Or what do you wish you would have known at the outset of your time in graduate school um, now that you're a year out? Uh, Jarvis, do you want to start? Yeah, um, some advice. Uh, your role on campus goes way beyond your job description. Um, your responsibilities may change. Supervisors that hired you may leave prior to you starting, etc. Persistence is really key. And, it remain, and you really need to remain focused on learning as much as you can. Uh, tap into resources, tap into folks that uh, you might not be in your functional area that you work with. Uh, you only get to experience your first year postgraduate school once. Uh, so uh, really, and you only get to make so many mistakes and reflect upon those as teachable moments uh, for not too long as entry-level professionals. So uh, my, my main advice um, is to really just take time to own your job and know you and be able to do your job well, but take some opportunity, step out, um, plan an event, uh, do something that isn't the norm on campus, start a new tradition, just really do something that isn't on your job description. Um, that's that's one thing that, some things I would do for advice. Awesome. Andrew? Um, so you, I want to clarify the question. Um, students who are just starting their master's program? Yeah, it could be, it could be either. Uh, or, or just. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Well, since Jarvis did the, the other one, I'll do <laughs> uh, who are starting their master's programs. Um, I think one thing is like embrace your student identity for all that it is. Um, as a student, you have a you kind of still have a lot of protection when it comes to taking risks at the institution, standing up for what you believe in. You know, really sticking to your values and speaking up when you don't agree with something. Um, you just, I think your voice as a student has a different power and protection over it than it does when you're a first-year professional. Um, as a first-year professional, you still have a voice and you still have those values, but like the decision to speak up in a meeting or to say something 
just carries more weight potentially um, and could have more risk um, and consequences depending on who else is in that meeting and whether or not they like to hear what you have to say. Um, so I think embrace that, especially if you have an assistantship, if you're working at the institution, like use your voice then because you're still a student and you can fall back on that, you know, I'm a student, so that, that gives you a little bit of protection. Um, I also think um, it's totally okay to have no idea what you want to do next. Um, it, and it's okay, like take the time in grad school to do internships in different functional areas or do an Akuhawai internship or a NOTA internship or go work at another institution in, in your area for the summer. Um, it's okay and I encourage you to make sure you're getting exposure to different things so that when it does come time to job search, you feel like you have some direction on what you want next. But it's also really important to know that your first job is not going to be your job forever. Um, so it's okay to go with something that feels right right now, but you're not certain will feel right in two to three years. Um, and I think a lesson I've been learning is that like I'm never going to know exactly what I want to do for the rest of my life. I think I'm going to continue to change my mind um, every two to three years, depending on my experiences and what I've been learning. Um, so embrace kind of the unknown and be okay with it, because I think it offers you opportunities to explore a lot and figure out what you do really want to do. Yeah, I mean, I think the beauty of student affairs is you don't necessarily have to pick. You know, you can be a generalist, you can pop around to lots of areas, there's lots of transferable pieces. Um, so I think that's a really, that's really great advice as well. Um, so I'm curious, for those of you, when you think back to your graduate um, programs, and you know, this question is totally uh, geared towards your faculty who are watching, if they're watching today. Um, what are the things that stuck with you? Like, what's the theory or concept or topic um, that you tend to refer to or think about or use in your work? Um, Matt, do you want to start with this one? Sure. Um, so one of the things I think I go back to a lot um, in my work with my students, but then also even sometimes my my colleagues in thinking about it is um, intersectional theory or, intersec or intersectionality. Um, so working in student programs, I have encountered that a lot in terms of like when I'm doing programs that are involved around Welcome Week or um, you know other things where we're talking about, oh, let's plan a program for first-generational students. And we think, okay, well, what do first-generational students need? Well, we also got to think about all the other identities that go into play. Um, so for example, you know, I was a first-generation student, but I was also a student that identified as LGBT. So how do those two things um, affect me together. So it's not, we can't just put students into boxes and that's one thing I keep going um, back to and thinking about. Um, but then also in terms of working with my colleagues, uh, sometimes when we have planning meetings and, you know, I might have a disagreement with some of them sometimes or, you know, I always have to think about, wait, what identities do my colleagues have that might be affecting, you know, what it is that they're saying and then also how do my identities play into that as well. Um, so I would say that probably every single day on the job, that's something that I find myself keep going back to and thinking about. Awesome. Other theories that you all kind of pick up on? Jasmine, do you want to share? Sure. Um, kind of along what Matt said, I think that intersectionality is important, and I think I'm constantly challenging myself as well as my colleagues to think about multiple identities, how they are intersecting, and how we can't just view issues or problems or even things that we're posting about on our campus from one lens. Um, other things that I think are really important that stand out to me are the concepts of white fragility as well as versus racism. Um, because I work at a PWI, those are things that I 
push up against daily. Um, and so for me often when I'm working with my colleagues, being able to point those things out um, and to, to name the unintentional bias that is happening, um, I think is important in our work because if not, we're doing a disservice to our colleagues, to our students, um, to our university. Um, and I've also found it interesting, even using some of the theory or research that we've used, um, that we learned in grad school as a coping mechanism. Um, so one of the most powerful articles I read in grad school was in our diversity class, and it was from uh, Mamta Akapedi, um, When White Women Cry, How White Women's Tears Oppress uh, Women of Color. And that completely rocked my world, and I think often when I am butting up against challenges or being made to be made out as a hard ass um, on our team because I'm sticking to my beliefs or my values or wanting to do things that are serving students um, from an intersectional lens. Um, I think for me, I'm able to fall back on that and kind of rationalize what I'm experiencing before I'm then able to kind of go back out and um, try to dismantle that. Awesome. I just found that article. I read this article before, but I just found it again yesterday. Um, so thank you for re uh, reminding us, us all of that, and I think we're going to tweet out a link to it because it's a fabulous, it's a fabulous piece. Um, Gabby, what are your thoughts on things that stick with you? Absolutely. So um, one piece in particular that I read um, in graduate school was Lisa Abus's piece on theoretical borderlands, and that um, I mean my faculty member Claire Robbins, who I work with extensively, still knows my love and affinity for this piece, and it shaped a lot of how I work. So I've already mentioned that I'm the inaugural case manager here at UNC Asheville. Um, my work has always been centered in identity consciousness and through a social justice lens. So that being said. When I was hired on here at UNC Asheville, um, and I, I convene our care and crisis team, so that's the, the team that meets weekly that deals with um, the traumatic experiences that our students are having. Um, there's no representative from our multicultural student programs office, our intercultural center, um, and that wasn't just a UNCA specific thing. This is actually something that's really not happening nationally because we're still not seeing um, the link between um, marginalization and checks to human to human dignity as something that needs to be dealt with in a student advocacy and case management way. Um, so I kind of had to go to my bosses and be like, well, I have no um, actual evidence I can give you to say why we need to be making this change, but from a theoretical perspective, I can present to you the model of multiple dimensions of identity, and I can present to you Schlossberg's transition theory, merge them together, and hopefully you're going to journey with me and understand why we need to be making this change. Um, and the whole nature of how our care and crisis team changed from that point from when I brought on Dr. Dahlia Hilton, the director of our intercultural center, um, it's just been such an amazing change to our campus and such a necessary change to the way that we as a university um, promote student advocacy and crisis management um, in, an honestly, um, in an honestly holistic sense. Awesome. Anybody else want in on the thing that you keep referring back to as a new professional? Or I can move on to the next question. Okay, I'll move on to the next question because I think one of the things that we talked about in our prep uh, when Andrea and I um, met the other day was about continuing to learn once you're done with graduate school. Um, so maybe Andrea, you can talk a little bit about what, the, what are the ways that you're continuing to grow as a professional in learning and then um, also I'd love to hear from all of you if you plan to go back for an EDD or PhD and if you've thought about that at all one year out. So, Andrea? Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I think 
first and foremost is expressing that you have an interest to continue learning um, to your direct supervisor or others that you work with. Um, when you are a professional, your learning falls on you. The responsibility of continued learning, I think, is, is your own. You don't have a faculty member telling you, like, hey, do this reading. If you want to read and you want to continue learning, you have to do it. Um, I am fortunate in that I have a supervisor who values learning, and she makes sure that um, at our team meetings, we, we do something called article share, where one of us will pick an article, we'll send it out a week in advance, we all have to read it, and then at our team meeting the following week, we discuss it. Um, and we, we bring that discussion back to you, okay, how does this apply to our everyday work with our students here? Um, that's awesome and a super easy thing to do, but it, it keeps us engaged in dialogue that's relevant to our work. Additionally, um, I've taken advantage of um, the Human Resources Department here. They offer like tons of workshops um, for anyone at the university, for any anyone who works here. Um, and they're not necessarily student affairs focused, but they're they're workshops about supervision. How do you how do you supervise students or other staff? Workshops about or workshops about um, communication skills in the workplace, things like that. So I've taken several um, of those courses throughout the last year, just trying to learn new skills, develop new skills um, and apply them back to my work. I also think um, recognizing maybe some things that you didn't learn in grad school or maybe it's not even rela related to student affairs but you think you could bring it back to your work. So for example I have a strong interest in learning um, graphic design. I don't know where that came from but like a year ago I just got really really into it and I have no professional training in programs like InDesign or Photoshop but like I want to learn those sort of things and I think that I can take that skill once developed and apply it to my work in residence life, whether it's developing media for RA selection and recruitment or um, developing signage for big programs that we have, you know, I, I want to do that. So I've recently had conversations with my supervisor about, you know, is this something I can do in terms of training and how can I use this skill if I develop it um, to, to benefit our department and to add value to our work. Um, and one other thing is just like learning totally outside of the workplace. Um, like, for example, I started a blog last fall. I really, really enjoy writing, and my writing style is very reflective in nature, so I just write, like, whenever I feel like it. Sometimes it's once a month, sometimes it's once every six months, but um, when I have something that I experience and I feel like my experience and my story will help others, I write a blog post about it. So that's something that keeps me learning and also helps me learn from other people by following other blogs. All right, for all of you, PhD, EDD, in your future, so like thumbs up, thumbs down, not sure. <laughs> Got a couple thumbs up. Got a couple I've already restarted there. studying for the GRE. <laughs> ah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, um, my advice is don't wait so long as, uh, you know, don't let 15 years pass because um, it's a little harder to go back, but I, um, you know, I think you all could be awesome contributors to uh, the knowledge as well of the field. So I, I encourage everybody. Um, <laughs> so I'm curious, so this is our final question before we get to final thoughts um, for those who are watching online. Uh, one of the things that I really recognized was that supervision, mentorship, guidance, you know, your advisor are all really present in your life during uh, graduate school. So how are you all finding that same support, you know, not only within your organizations but broadly within the field now? Like, you know, those pe people who have come before you who are mentors and role models for you. Matt? 
Yeah, uh, so one way that I'm kind of blessed is that um, our executive director at the Alumni Association of Oregon State, I actually knew her from a previous life as an undergraduate student at Ohio State, um, and she was someone I kind of looked up to a lot, and part of the reason why I looked into the position out here, so I'm glad to have her here with me, and she's been kind of my professional guide, kind of guiding me through my first year and giving me really good advice, um, but I'm also still really in contact with all of my mentors at my previous institution, so there's been a few times my first year where I called my um, supervisor from grad school, and I'm like, please help me, I don't know what I'm doing, um, and she's still been there for me every step of the way, and same for uh, the mentors I had during, and then as, or while well, I was at Ohio State as an undergraduate student. So um, that support network has still been there. You know, I may not see them all the time, but I still know that they're there for me. Um, and that's been the best thing for me in terms of getting through this first year and um, all the challenges that I've experienced along the way. Great. Andrew? Yeah, I think um, I, I really, really enjoy my supervisor. I, I remember my interview with her at TPE. And I walked away from the table and called my mom, and I was like, I'm going to work for this woman. Because um, <laughs> I just connected with her instantly, and I saw the potential for a mentor-mentee relationship. Um, and it has been that um, since I started. She's great. I feel like I can talk to her about anything. So I'm really lucky in that because I know that not everyone is, is blessed with a supervisor that they totally click with and that it just works. Um, so I think if you don't have that, it's important to reach out and find um, mentorship in other places, too. It's okay to start you know, reaching out to other departments on your campus and maybe finding someone who doesn't necessarily work in your department but who can connect with you and offer those, those um, mentorship skills and sort of that guidance and conversation. I also think networking is really important, um, going to conferences. I went to the NASA Region 2 conference in June and met several people who work in different, at different schools in the city um, and have connected with some of them since then. I, I had a meeting with one a few weeks ago and she just emailed me asking to get lunch. So I think it's easy to meet new people um, and to develop these relationships if you're willing to put the effort into it. Um, but again, I think you have to take the initiative. Um, but for me, again, my supervisor is great, so that's been really helpful. Great. Jasmine. Sure. So I think similar to Matt, um, I'm still relying a lot on the individuals who really kind of guided me and mentored me through graduate school. Um, I think here at Ohio State, I rely a lot on my peers that I'm close with as kind of the support um, that I, I need or I'm looking for. Um, I think it's kind of difficult when you move to a new city, um, doing something that feels kind of new to always find who's the best fit for you. And I think it can be intimidating to um, try to call someone out as like, will you be my mentor, please? Um, so I think I definitely more subscribe to the mentoring network philosophy. I have different people that I go to for different things. Um, some of that to my benefit, some of that to my detriment. So I know if I want to be encouraged, I go to one person. If I know I want to be challenged, I go to someone else. If I want to talk about writing, I can go to a certain individual. Um, if I just need someone to check in, I have someone else to talk to. Um, that said, looking for a mentor. So if anyone here on the internet is interested, please let's connect. Awesome. Awesome. So final thoughts. I'd love to hear, you know, advice that you all have for other folks who are entering their first professional positions and then any resources that you'd like to share that we can tweet out or share information with those who, those who are watching us today. So Jasmine, we're going to start with you again. Sure. Um, I think one of the most important lessons I learned in my first year and that I hope grads entering our profession full-time um, do is not to invalidate your voice. 
Um, I think that we have to stand inside our own stories and be pretty unapologetic about who we are and what we're aiming to do in our profession. And we can't do that if every time we see our opinion, we're apologizing for it, um, or every time that we're calling out bias, um, we feel bad about it. Um, so know what you're about, know your values, and stick to them, I think is the best thing you can do in your first year. Awesome. Thank you. Andrea. So we just hired a few new professionals to start with us. They just started about a month ago, and I was sitting in the office of one of them uh, last week, and he has on his wall this huge wall decal, and it says, work hard, stay humble. And I think that's excellent advice um, for that first year and beyond that. But I think it's really important that you work really hard um, and that you, you kind of, in a lot of ways, you kind of have to prove yourself. You have to prove that, you know, you deserve to be here and that you were the right decision when they hired you. Um, so I think it's really important to keep that mindset of you're going to have to work hard if you want to perform, perform well and, you know, add value and kind of make their decision worth it. But it's also really important to stay humble. Um, don't expect all kinds of praise and worship left and right. You know, they hired you to do a job and you need to do the job. So um, I think it's important to to remember that and not get too big of a head um, whenever you maybe do something great, like it's good, you know, live in that moment if you get the praise, but also remember there's still a lot more work to be done. Great advice. Gabby. Um, so I have two, like, two takeaways um, and they kind of link together. So the first one, find a life outside of your work. Um, Work-life balance is talked about all the time. I'm not going to harp on it, but it's incredibly important to find a life outside of your work purely because if you're entering this field um, to relive your undergraduate student leader glory days or to try to continue being um, the hotshot graduate student that you were at the campus where you got your master's degree, this field ain't for you. Uh, <laughs> You, that, I think that's where we see a lot of the burnout. I think that's where we see a lot of the turnover um, and attrition rates in student affairs. And if you don't have a deeper meaning for why you're doing this work, um, you're going to get tired really fast. I think having a life outside of work can almost help center what the work means to you um, and help you find not just solely identify with your work, but find a deeper purpose for it in your life as a whole. So that's my biggest advice for folks. Great. Jarvis. Yeah, um, mine is uh, already taken, but I'll do a Grey's Anatomy kind of metaphor. Find your person um, or find your people. Um, have someone um, that's in the field, yeah, but have someone that will just take your mind away from higher ed, theory, etc. cetera. Um, it, I struggle to, um, to not talk about theory and our field and what's going on in society and how it connects to higher ed. Uh, at any conversation I'm in. So I try to um, have people in my life that will just take me away from that. Uh, my partner does a phenomenal job of that. My nephew, whenever I Skype him at home, he does a wonderful job of, of that too. Um, doesn't ask me about work and I love it. So uh, just some advice for the first year to be more serious. Uh, really find some, like mentors, yeah, but just find people outside of work um, that will help you uh, learn and grow on your on a more personal life. Great advice. Matt, final, final thought. Yeah, so um, I very much agree with Gabby, too, in um, finding the balance. So I think it's safe to say that most of us all love our jobs and we go into this field because we want to make a difference. Um, but one of, one of the things that I always think about is um, some words that one of my professors at Indiana had said once, and it was that work is an interruption of life. And if you think about it, we all have jobs because it's a way to help us you know, live and support ourselves. Well, at what point do does that take over and that our jobs 
take over our lives and we don't actually get to live. Um, so one of the great supports that I have here at Oregon State is that one of my colleagues and I, we often give praise to each other when we are able to actually, you know, like go on vacation and not answer our emails because she sent to me when I first started on this really great article that talked about how we often like to glorify the overachievers, where we like to give praise to the people who stay, you know, until 10, 11 o'clock at night, and then they're back in here at 7 a.m., where we should actually be giving praise to the people who do go home and spend time with their families and their friends, um, because it sets that expectation that in order to do well or in order to do all these things, you know, you have to stay till 11, and you have to give up the rest of your life. and. Um, so it's great So we're often very supportive of one another and we're like, no, go home and, and be home. And along with that, off, um, also encouraging, you know, if you have a student intern or a graduate student or a new professional, um, giving them that same message as well. So for example, I'm um, supervising a graduate intern this summer and she was emailing me on the weekend and I happened to see it. So I told her, I said, no, stop emailing me. You're not working right now. Enjoy your weekend. Be with your friends. Um, so I think it's also important to kind of set that expectation for the other um, professionals as they're entering the field. Um, because going along with that burnout is that's the reason I think people get tired is that you never truly get to leave your work. It's something that always follows with you. And then um, that's when we have great professionals who decide to leave the field just because they can't um, handle that anymore. Then we miss out on those opportunities to have them with us. 100% agree. Um, so thank you to all of your advice and final thoughts. This was a fabulous episode today. One more piece of uh, resource that we'd like to share. I held up the first edition. This is the third edition. It's now in its fourth edition. Um, mm -hmm. Shout out to MSU professor Marilyn Amy and Dr. Lori Reeser. Um, he's not at MSU, but uh, who wrote this book, Beginning Your Journey. It's a great uh, resource for new professionals entering the field. And then also Job 1 2.0, um, which I had the authors of that on a while back to talk a little bit about that first job as well. So Jill Carnegie and Peter Magolda um, did some good work um, on that book. So we highly recommend both of those. Again, thank you to the five of you. It was just a delight having you back. We're going to do this, I've already said, we're going to do this again every two years. Um, hopefully. We'll just keep it, keep it going, keep the conversation coming along. Uh, so coming up on Student Affairs Live in two weeks from today on August 24th, Tony is going to be continuing this conversation and actually next talking about mid-level professionals in Student Affairs. Um, if many of you may have seen the most recent article in JCSD by Maureen Wilson and other scholars um, about mid-level um, managers, so that should be a fabulous episode. And then I'm going to be back in September with, an, uh, with a conversation about being an effective white ally in social justice movements despite fear. And you can learn more about this and all of the other episodes on Student Affairs Live by subscribing to our Higher Ed Live newsletter. You can review past episodes by browsing our archives and even listen to our iTunes podcast. Um, again, I'm Heather Shea Gasser. Thank you all for watching today. Thank you to my panelists, and I hope you make it a great week. <laughs>